0: Welcome, everyone. You're listening to Truth in Christ Radio, a Bible teaching radio ministry of Calvary Chapel of Rochester with Senior Pastor Rob Kellogg.
1: And all the nations around Israel had kings, and they had big armies. And you know, when you look at that, and Israel was very unique. It was unique among the nations. No other nation like it where God was their king. And yet, they reject God and say, that's not enough. It's not enough. We want to be like everyone else.
0: Welcome everyone to Truth in Christ Radio. Today our scripture says, Now it came to pass when Samuel was old that he made his sons judges over Israel. Samuel was one of the godliest men in the entire Bible, but he was wrong to appoint his sons as judges over Israel because they were not godly men. When the elders of Israel heard this, they did not accept them as leaders because they were obviously ungodly and unfit to lead. They wanted to be like other nations and have a king rule over them. We often get in trouble by wanting to be like the world when we should instead be transformed into the image of Jesus Christ. Now let's join Pastor Rob in chapter 8 of 1 Samuel.
1: Uh, Let's go ahead and open our Bibles to 1 Samuel chapter 8 this evening. If I had to put a label on tonight's service, it would be Be careful what you ask for. Be careful what you ask for. When we looked at chapters 1 through 7, we really looked at the ministry of Samuel. And even though uh, last week we looked at chapter 7, even though Samuel didn't die at the end of chapter 7, his ministry really ends there, and it really kind of dovetails with Saul becoming the first king. Saul becoming the first king, not Paul the Apostle. Sometimes people get that confused. If you don't know the Old Testament and the New Testament, there are really two Sauls in the Bible, right? We know one is in the Old Testament, Saul, the king of Israel, Israel's first king, who was a Benjamite. And we also know that there's a Saul in the New Testament whose name was originally Paul, Saul, Saul of Tarsus, actually. And then the lord called or you know his name was paul after that and so we know him as paul but his real name is saul but this is a whole different kink several hundred um several hundreds of years prior to the uh, the apostle paul and as we look at the like i said these first seven verses are his 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 ministry and we're going to see him Anoint Samuel king, and we're also going to see him anoint David king, and then Saul is going to fall from the from the picture. He's going to be um, off the. He's going to fade from the scene. But now we see in chapter eight here uh, through chapter fifteen, we're really going to see the life and the reign of King Saul, Israel's first king. And as we get into chapter sixteen through the remainder of the chapter, we're going to see David. Uh, And so really these three characters in the book of 1 Samuel we're going to be reading about. And David is my favorite. Um, I certainly love Samuel. Saul is not my favorite, but I I, I do love uh, David. Uh, But tonight we will look at uh, chapter 8. And so if you recall, last week uh, the children of Israel had... Uh, lost the Ark of the Covenant, if you remember, in chapters 5 and 6. The Philistines, they got into a battle, and they took the Ark from them. And the Ark went on a series of, uh, went on a, a tour, if you will, throughout the five land, five cities of the Philistines. And because they had stolen the Ark and because God was not very pleased with them, he inflicted uh, plagues upon them. And they kept sending the ark to other towns, and the same thing happened. So they sent the ark to Beth Shemesh, and then the men of Beth Shemesh were really happy to see it, and they were out of the Philistine territory in a sense at that point, and so they were excited, and they got a little too excited, and they looked inside the ark, and God smote them because not even the high priest was supposed to look inside the ark, and look inside the ark, and only they were even allowed to touch it, you know, and and even then with poles that were. Uh, constructed for the purpose of moving it. And so as a result of that, they send the ark. I mean, the Lord really um, brought a great destruction upon the men of Bashemesh, and so they send it again to a gentleman by the name of Abinadab who lived in Kirjath-Jerim, Jer- and the ark stayed there. The Bible says here in First uh, Samuel chapter 7, verse 2, it says it was there for about 20 years. It was actually there probably 20 years before Samuel... Um, Brought the people together, but in actuality, the whole length of time that it served in his house was about a hundred years, actually. And so, we we saw that God had uh, brought the people of Israel together at that time. And Samuel offered and put this forth to them. He said, "If you return to the Lord with all your heart, then put away the foreign gods and the Ashdoras from among you. And these were the false gods that they were worshiping." And so the children of Israel, they responded in a really positive way. And this is a good thing, because God was um, uh, working on their heart and bringing them to that place of repentance, and they did, And, 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 and they began to worship. And this was one of the bright lights in this period. It was a very short time, but as they're worshiping, as you would normally see it, whenever the people of God worship, and there's repentance, and there's a Uh, A jubilation, a worship. It will always be met by the enemy. The enemy will always come at a time when the church is at its fervency, when it's in repentance, when it is worshiping its king. The devil will always come against it. And and this was no different here. As they were doing that, the Philistines set themselves in battle array and came after them. And if you recall, God sent thunderbolts and thunder and lightning and really kind of confuse the army of the Philistines, and in their confusion, they began to run away, and the children of Israel went out after them, and really, um, had a, they had a great victory that day over the Philistines. And from that point on, they really never had any problem with the Philistines. In fact, they even had peace with the Amorites, who were their perennial enemy as well. And the Philistines would still be around, and we'll see that as we get into Saul's ministry and his reign, really, we're going to see the Philistines coming again. Uh, but they're, they're not as big of a threat as they used to be, but they're sort of like gnats flying around your head, and they're just kind of a bothersome thing. And finally, when we get to David, we'll see God using David to finally root out the Philistines for good. And then we really don't hear anything more about them at that point. And so we get to that point at the end of chapter 7. It says, Samuel judged all Israel all the days of his life, and he went on a circuit from Beth, Bethel, to Gilgal, to Mizpah, and he judged Israel in those places. But he always returned to Ramah, which was his hometown. And uh, and there he judged Israel, and he also built an altar there. So let's go ahead and read chapter 8, and then we'll go back and look at it so we can get the context. It says now it came to pass when Samuel was old that he made his sons judges over Israel. And the name of his first bu- firstborn was Joel and the name of his second Abijah. And there were they were judges in Beersheba, but his sons did not walk in his ways. They turned aside after dishonest gain. They took bribes and they perverted justice. Then all the elders of Israel gathered together and came to Samuel at Ramah and they said to him, "Look, You are old, and your sons do not walk in your ways. Now make us a king to judge us like all the nations. But the thing displeased Samuel when they said, Give us a king to judge us. So Samuel prayed to the Lord, and the Lord said to Samuel, Heed the voice of the people and all that they ask you to do. For they have not rejected you, but they have rejected me, that I should reign over them. According to all the works which they have done since the day that I brought them out of Egypt, even to this day with, with which they have forsaken me and served other gods, so they are doing to you also. Now, therefore, heed their voice." However, you shall solemnly forewarn them and show them the behavior of the king who will reign over them. So Samuel told all the words of the Lord to the people who asked him for a king. And he said, this will be the behavior of the king who will reign over you. He will take your sons and appoint them for his own chariots and to be his horsemen, and some will run before his chariots. He will appoint captains over his thousands and captains over his fifties. He will set some to plow his ground and reap his harvest, and some to take his weapons of war and equipment for his chariots. He will take your daughters to be perfumers, cooks, and bakers, and he will take the best of your fields, your vineyards, and your olive groves, and give them to his servants. He will take the tenth of your grain and your vintage and give it to his officials and servants. And he will take your male servants, your, males, your female servants, and your finest young men, and your donkeys, and put them to his work. He will take a tenth of your sheep, and you will be his servants." And you will cry out in the day because of your king, whom you have chosen for yourselves. And the Lord will not hear you in that day. Nevertheless, the people refused to obey the voice of Samuel. And they said, no, but we will have a king over us that we may also be like the nations. And that our king may may judge us and go out before us and fight our battles. And Samuel heard all the words of the people and he repeated them in the hearing of the Lord. And so the Lord said to Samuel, heed their voice, make them a king. And Samuel said to the men of Israel, every man go to his city, his city. So again, the title of uh, this evening's service, if I could put a title, is Be Careful What You Ask For. Be careful what you ask for. The Lord is so gracious. You know, he puts before us his will, his perfect will. And we can either get in line and follow what the Lord wants, or we can step out and do our own thing. and this is exactly what the children of Israel did. Instead of continuing to be governed by God, instead of it being a theocracy where God governed them, and really, was it, was it so bad? I mean, when we look over their history, even when Moses was alive, and even when he passed the scene and Joshua came. And took his place. And even when Joshua passed from the scene, and there were judges that judged them, was it really so bad? God still did all the things that he would normally do. He still provided for them. He still gave them direction. He delivered them from their enemies. I mean, how much better could it be? Was there anything that was lacking? And I think if you honestly look at it, you'll find that, no, there really was nothing lacking. So what purpose, then, does a king give us? Why would we want a king? Well, it's a funny thing about peer pressure, you know, because peer pressure is not just something that we deal with as individuals, especially when you're young. Peer pressure is, is, is incredible. The things that you wear, the things that you say, the music that you listen to. Am I like everybody else? And there's this pressure to conform. And all the nations around Israel had kings, and they had big armies, and you know, when you look at that, and Israel was very unique. It was unique among the nations. No other nation like it where God was their king. And yet, they reject God and say, that's not enough. It's not enough. We want to be like everyone else. Isn't it true of our, of our natural heart that no matter what God gives us, we're like sheep out in a pasture, and there's a, a barrier, and we see another pasture, and there's other sheep over there and we're happy in our pasture for a while eating the nice herbs and the grasses and everything like that until we notice hey there's another pasture over there and all of a sudden you get up to the edge and you're looking over and you're like you know they they've got it a little better than I do i want i want <laughs> i want to be over there and then they start lusting for that other thing they want to be just like them Little do they know that once they get over there, and they're over there for a season, then they'll get close to the fence or close to the rock barrier, and they'll look over and go, you know, I really missed it back where I was. We really had it good over there. We're never satisfied. We find that true of the children of Israel as well. Let's go back to verse 1 here. They demand a king, and it says in verse 1, Now it came to pass when Samuel was old that he made his sons judges over Israel. And this is the only incident that I know of in Samuel's life where he probably wasn't hearing from the Lord. God called Samuel. It was unmistakable. We saw his beginning. We saw his when God really spoke to him and gave him a charge, a very specific thing. And yet, a judge is, was someone that the Lord raised up when Israel was crying out because of their oppression, because of their sin. God allowed them to go into, into have an oppression from an enemy. And then God raised up a judge. And Samuel was the last judge that we know of in the Old Testament. And so, you know, they, they cry out. But God didn't call his sons, God called Samuel. He called Samuel. Meryl Unger, who was a famous Bible commentator, he said, God does not ordinarily transmit a gift and calling from father to son. And that's true. God calls a person. It doesn't mean that his son and his grandson and his great-grandson, that they're all going to have the same calling. No, it doesn't work that way. God calls a specific individual. It may be fortunate, and it may happen from time to time, where there would be a father who's called and a son, and we certainly see that in the lives of Solomon and David. God called Solomon, and God certainly called David. There's no doubt about that. But as we go further into the monarchy, and Saul is the first one in this monarchy, we're going to see that it, it, it quickly became something of the flesh, where it was just when a man had, his, you know, had his, his firstborn son, that would be the next king. And that's kind of the way it rolled from then on. It really had nothing to do with calling so much as it was Heritage. And so the office of a judge, or a prophet for that matter, is not a position that's given by man, nor is it a position that one takes upon themselves. It's something that God calls a person to, and that calling is not necessarily hereditary. It doesn't pass from dad to son. And God may call a man to do something extraordinarily, extraordinary, but that doesn't mean that God is going to use his son or someone close to him. God chooses individuals. He's not interested in nepotism. Nepotism, you know, is when, when those who have power and influence, they favor friends or relatives, and they put friends or relatives in, in positions of power. God is not into that. He calls an individual. And he doesn't incline to nepotism unless he has truly called someone in the family of a monarch. as very seldom occurs. So in verse 2, it says, The name of his firstborn, Samuel's firstborn, I'm sorry, uh, yes, uh, Samuel, was Joel, and the name of his second, Abijah, and they were judges in Beersheba. Joel, his name is interesting. It means Jehovah is God. Jehovah is God. And he was the eldest son of Samuel. And whenever you see. Names of sons listed. The first one is usually the firstborn, and and that is the case here. So, Joel is the firstborn, his his second son, Abijah. And Joel, it's interesting as we get further on into the history of Israel, he was the eldest son of Samuel, the prophet. He's also the father of a very prominent man in David's kingdom. On his worship team, basically, his name is He Man. He Man the singer. You ever hear He Man the singer? In First Chronicles chapter 6, it says this. This is just a little side note with Joel, because it's, it's pretty interesting. So says, Now these are the men, this is First Chronicles 6, verse 31. Now these are the men whom David appointed over the service of song in the house of the Lord after the ark came to rest. They were ministering with music before the dwelling place of the tabernacle of meeting, until Solomon had built the house of the Lord in Jerusalem. And they served in their office according to their order, and these are the ones who ministered with their sons. Of the sons of the Kohathites, which was a member of the Levites, was Heman the singer, and he was the son of Joel, the son of Samuel. And it's, I find that interesting because we're going to find out that Joel and Abijah, who was the second son, his name means Jehovah is my father, both of these young men didn't do very well. They weren't stellar examples like their father Samuel. In fact, they were quite a disappointment. But I find it interesting that Joel's son, that he would give birth to, would, his name would be He-Man, or Haman, or He-Heman. I don't know how you pronounce that, but he would be one who would be the singer in David's um, David's reign, and that's a pretty prominent position. And isn't it interesting that you can of, you can often have a, a really great father, and then you can have a not so great son, and then a really great grandson. It would be nice if it just kept rolling, wouldn't it be nice? Great, great dad, great son, great grandson, but it just it doesn't work that way. We see through the lives of the kings that that was the case. You know, you'd have a, a really great king, and then you'd have a really horrible king, and then he would give birth to a son, and he'd be one of the greatest kings of Israel ever knew. And there's no way of knowing which way the human heart goes. And isn't that the way it is with your kids, with your grandkids? You just never know. You just never know. And notice that these they ruled or they judged in Beersheba. And Beersheba is, is located really somewhere in the midpoint of the land of Israel between the Mediterranean Sea and the south part of the Dead Sea, uh, certainly southwest of uh, Jerusalem. And so that's where his sons were located. But his sons, notice verse 3, did not walk in the ways in his ways. They turned aside after dishonest gain. They took bribes, perverted justice. And if, this is very reminiscent, really, if you think of the, the man that Samuel grew up under. Do you remember the man? His name was Eli. Samuel was a young man, and he was brought up under this man, Eli, who was a compromised priest. And it just so happened that Samuel, as a very young boy, was there under Eli, and Eli's two sons were despicable, horrible men. They were laying with the women, they were, they were perverting justice, taking bribes, you name it. They were just the most, disp- they should never have been there. Just horrible, evil men in positions of power. And Samuel now, as he's getting older, he's seeing that his sons, although a little bit better, aren't really much better. It's almost like history repeating itself. You know, uh, as we look at, if you go back a couple of chapters to the second chapter of Samuel, uh, if you would, go back there with me. Just flip over a couple pages, and let's pick up in verse 12, 1 Samuel. We're going to see how much alike Samuel's sons were to Eli's sons. It's like the apple doesn't fall far from the tree. That influences... I, I don't know exactly what it is about this, but it's worth noting because... Um, Eli's sons were certainly more corrupt, but only by a little. Notice what it says in verse 12 of 1 Samuel 2. It says, Now the sons of Eli were corrupt. They did not know the Lord. And the priest's custom with the people was that when any man offered a sacrifice, the priest's servant would come with a three-pronged flesh hook in his hand while the meat was boiling. And and it goes on in this um, in this chapter here. and and talks about how they would just be really ripping the people off as the people were worshiping the Lord. And notice down in um, uh, verse 17 of that chapter, it says, Therefore the sin uh, of the men was very great before the Lord, and, and men abhorred the offering of the Lord. And they notice also down in verse 22, it says, When Eli was very old and he heard everything his sons did to all Israel, notice he didn't do anything, But he heard about how they lay with the women who were assembled at the door of the tabernacle. And so Eli's sons were horrible men. And now Samuel, in his twilight years, his sons are growing up. And the only thing that we don't read about his sons is that they didn't commit fornication with the women. But everything else seems to kind of add up with what was happening in Levi's household, which further demonstrates the the degradation of morality during that time. Israel still wasn't in a great place. They, they always went from a place of reaching really great heights and then going to great depths, and reaching great heights and going to great depths. And it was just this constant roller coaster. We see that throughout their history. But there is no guarantee that just because we are walking with the Lord that our kids or our grandkids will walk with the Lord as well. I wish there was some kind of clause. I wish there was some kind of declaration that could be signed, you know, between us and God. Lord, if I have this child, you know, would you make them like, you know, if I'm doing really well, make them like me, you know, where they're walking with the Lord, but it just doesn't work that way. They have to make that decision all by themselves.
0: I'm sorry, that's all the time we have for today, but please join us next time as Pastor Rob continues our study in the book of 1 Samuel.